All right. Well, today I think we are, are definitely going to get into some very good things that will uh, position us for um, introducing much more complexity into our programs, or really, I guess I should say, much more sophistication into our programs, and will open up the opportunity for us to do some things that are uh, a little bit inherently more interesting than some of the very simple homework programs that, that you folks have done. Just to kind of recap and review, where we were when we were uh, last assembled. We talked about the concept of internal tables, you know, and as an aside, I could probably, without even trying, come up with a dozen really good test questions related to internal tables and the characteristics of the different kinds of internal tables, things like, you know, which of them uh, permit unique keys, which of them require unique keys, which of them don't allow unique keys. Um, there, there's just all kinds of facets of this that would make good test questions. But beyond that, the biggest thing for us to keep in mind, big picture, is what's the difference between the three of them in our programs. And we'll start with the sorted table. If you ever find yourself working with uh, logic in a program where you're producing output, and the output uh, has a desired sort order to it, then you can essentially get that for free through the use of a sorted table. And you should do that. Uh, rather than using a standard table and sorting it, a sorted table would be the way to go in that situation. Standard table, if you will, would be the default if we are not looking at something that has an inherent sort order to it. Or another way to think of that is if we might have a data presentation and the sort order is in some way conditional. Well, in that case, uh, a standard table where I would employ some kind of sorting mechanism to sort it in different ways uh, at different times in my program would be more useful. Hashed table is very, very useful when you have a very particular kind of data that you are, are working with in that you're looking at data where you have unique keys and also, and I don't know that we talked about this last time, but I, I think it is uh, important to realize there is no concept of sequential access to a hashed table the way there is with a standard table or a sorted table. So if you are looking at a program where you would envision uh, doing something with a table of information and then outputting that table in some kind of output, a uh, hash table may actually make the code for that uh, much more challenging to write. And so we talked about the characteristics of these internal tables. We talked about the way we actually instantiate them. And our, our focus at this element in our coverage is the idea of using a types statement to define a type of table. And then once that is done, we use a data statement to instantiate that. And we observe that although you can make an internal table based on any data type, including, as we will see later on this semester, things like objects, um, the 
uh, more common idea here is that we will see is internal tables based on structures as opposed to more simple data types like integers or strings or other things of that sort, although we can have those if that would be useful in our program. And so uh, we looked at some examples here of uh, defining a standard table both with and without a key. We looked at instantiating a sorted table with a non-unique and a unique key. Uh, not much difference there overall. Uh, and then we talked about the concept of a work area as being a structure that matches the overall um, structure, no uh, redundancy intended there, of a line in our internal table to make it easier for us to work with individual records that would be populating that internal table. And so this is where we left off when we were together last time. And so we will pick up here now with something that you read about, uh, I believe, in your textbook and that we will in fact be working with in our programming this semester, which is a set of uh, training uh, database tables that SAP makes available in their ERP system. We will do some things with system database tables, but as you can imagine, I am somewhat hesitant to have students uh, write programs that manipulate system level database tables because you could do something that could potentially corrupt that table and create a situation that would disrupt the workflow of other students. So especially here as we get started, uh, these uh, training related database tables are very, very useful for us. Um, the way that we can, and there are no shortage of ways that we can go into the system and look at things related to database tables, but SE16 is a transaction that is a data browser. And I like this one because it gives us perhaps the, the, the most simple of all of the different um, ways of looking at a database table. And so we can just type in the name of a database table if we know it. We do have a search mechanism here if we wish to employ that. But I type that in and now I'm taken to a screen that if I desire to will allow me to limit my browsing of what is in this particular database table. What I would observe to you is this, that um, I can click on the number of entries button here to find out how many items which are actually in the table. This particular table I'm browsing or getting ready to browse the S Airport table, you'll notice has 53 uh, records in it. Even if I find myself uh, having selected a larger table, notice by default the system will only show me uh, the first 500 rows unless I change this. And so take note of that because sometimes I've had students um, think that the table was just the size that they saw in this transaction uh, and overlook the fact that no, they were just seeing the first part of the table. Yes, sir. Well, this is an SAP transaction, so it, 
the system put those there. Um, you can, as a developer, add icons to a menu bar as a part of your code. And, and we may actually do some of that later this semester. Um, so yeah, somebody who wrote this transaction, and by the way, by the time the semester's over, you could probably write something that would be very similar to this transaction and, and you know, put buttons here and define their actions and so on. So the idea here is if I wanted to in some way limit the output to just uh, certain key fields in the table, I can do that. Or if I just hit execute, uh, I can see the values that are actually here in, in the table. And so you'll notice that this particular database table, we have a, uh, don't really know exactly the proper way to pronounce this, but a mont field that shows what? What is this showing? our client number. So we have a mon field that shows our client number. We have an ID field that shows a three-letter abbreviation. And if you've ever traveled by way of airplane, you're used to these. This is not an exhaustive list, certainly, but it does show, uh, you know, Denver and a lot of other cities. Uh, Tri-Cities Airport is not in this table. Um, it shows the name, or really, I think it's, it's really showing more um, the name or in some cases the location of the airport. It's kind of very erratic in that regard. And then the time zone based on, on UTC. It's always good to get in the habit, and here it's rather obvious to look up here and say, okay, it is showing me four of the four fields. If I had many, many more fields, it might only be showing me a subset of those based on the width of the presentation that was defined on the previous screen here. And so this does give me the ability to look at the information in the table. You'll notice we do have buttons here at the top to adjust the sort order, to refresh the presentation, I suppose, if the table uh, had changed. Uh, check table, um, we won't get into right now. This is just a very, very basic way of, of looking at the database table. The other way that is very, very common to look at a database table that, that we have not, um, or that we have seen before in the context of another transaction, and I'm going to have to find it now, is our uh, ABOP dictionary, okay? And uh, I don't off the top of my head know what the um, transaction code is for that, so let me turn that on. And uh, SE11 is the ABOP dictionary. And so I could go to this transaction and under database table type S airport and then hit display. And now you'll notice here it's showing me the individual fields is, is what shows up at my initial presentation, the Mont field, the ID field, the name field, and the time zone field. You'll notice as well, it shows me which fields are key fields, the Mont field and the ID field. It shows me which fields have initial values in it, which is another way of saying uh, that the field can't be null. It shows me the data type associated 
with each of these, and, and we'll come back to this when we start working with the dictionary, and then it tells me some of, you know, kind of an overview of what that data type is. So the actual data type of the ID fields is S underscore airport, but S underscore airport is a data type that is three characters long. And so we see not only the standard uh, data type, but kind of a description here just to, just to go with that. On this particular screen, there are ways that I can look at other things related to this table. And the icons have changed, I notice, in this version of the SAP GUI. But if I click the contents button right here, this should look real familiar. It looks very much like what we saw in the last transaction. And if I execute that, it is going to show me uh, the actual contents. Um, there are other things, for example, if I click on this graphic, it will take a second here, but it, it's going to show uh, a relationship between this table and with other tables. Specifically, here's our S airport table. And the client number is coming out of or also referenced in table T000. And the time zones are found in table TTZZ. And so uh, if we had a more complex diagram, we'd see it over here. And you can drag this around as a way to navigate. But obviously, this is a very, very uh, simple presentation. Uh, you're somewhat limited in what you could do here, but notice I just double-clicked on T000, and it has brought me to this. This is a, a standard database table. Uh, you'll notice it has 17 different fields in it, and if we look at the data that's contained in T000, we see this, which is all the different clients in the system, uh, a description of the client. Um, this is probably a reference to the location of where it was instantiated, the standard or default language associated with that client, and then we have other fields here. And, and what's notable about this is we're seeing something that is very, very typical in SAP database tables, which is just a lot of not only null values, but a lot of entire columns or fields that have no values in it whatsoever. Um, SAP, or actually the Hassel Plattner Institute, did a, a study a few years ago and found that for SAP customers in production environments, over 40% of their database fields were totally blank and had no data in it whatsoever. So it's very, very typical to open up a system database and see that there are a lot of fields that are there, uh, but not actually um, employed. This is kind of interesting. I'm going to guess that this is uh, some kind of lock. I'd have to look up that uh, right there to see. Oh, here we go. Client control, indicating that the client is temporarily locked. And uh, that's, uh, you know, and here you get into where sometimes it's hard to match up left to right here. But that looks like it's this row right here. So client 418, for whatever reason, is temporarily locked. So we just notice as well that if the developer has done a good job defining the database table, double-clicking on that at the top will give you um, a description of what that field contains. So 
if you're just saying to yourself, I want to go and look at the contents of a table really, really quickly, then SE16 is the way to go. If you want to look at things potentially in much greater detail, then this is where the ABOP dictionary can be very helpful to you, and that is SE11. As you might imagine from the buttons that are here at the bottom, SE11 does give us the ability to not only display database tables, but also to change existing database tables and, and to create them. And later on this semester, when we start actually making our own database tables, this is where we will we'll do that. I'll just go ahead and mention, we do not create database tables programmatically. Everything that we do in the way of creating database tables is done in the ABOB dictionary almost in a wizard-like format, if you will, where we fill in values into uh, various fields on the screen. So the point of this is we're going to be working with these database tables in a lot of our class examples and in a lot of our programming assignments. And your textbook actually gives you a more exhaustive list of these database tables and I believe even shows you a relationship diagram and some other things because it will use this in its example code as well. The reason why I wanted to show that to you is um, it is very, very common when we are working with database tables that we will pair those in our program with internal tables. And for the sake of the programs that we are going to be writing here using internal tables, we need some data in those internal tables. So we'll pull that data out of a database table just to have something to work with here. So, you know, we see a, a common strategy here. We fill an internal table with data. We use that as we would desire. Maybe we put it on the screen as output. We update the data in some way. And then we might update the database table based on what's in our internal table. So as I believe I referenced last time, we will do a lot of go out, grab information from a database table, maybe everything that's in the database table, maybe a subset of it, put it in an internal table, work with it in the internal table, and then once I have that fully locked in as far as the right values and everything, then I send it back to the database table. I probably observed this previously, but the only real complexity here is you'll see that you do have very, very similar commands for working with internal tables and working with database tables. But they're not exactly the same. And so sometimes you have to realize that, okay, I'm appending to an internal table, and so that's the syntax for it, versus, okay, I'm appending to a database table, the syntax is slightly different. So uh, this is where the code hinting comes in handy, or the documentation or other things uh, come in handy when you're actually writing uh, the code for that. All right, so without further ado, let's actually start getting into something where we're going to uh, be writing some code. Let's say I want an internal table to match the structure of a database table. All right, we observe that that's a pretty common thing for me to do. If the internal table encompasses all the fields in the database table, 
then what I have to do, or then what I can do is I can specify the database table name as the type upon which the internal table is based. So this is kind of like a special extension to the syntax here. And for some reason, well, I guess we'll look at the code for that in a second. But let's look at the second scenario. If the internal table will encompass only some of the database table fields, define your own structure and base your internal table on that structure. And the way you're going to have to do that is look the table up in SE11 and match the types of all the fields employed. Okay? So you have two choices here. Is your internal table going to match up with the database table exactly? Or are you going to use a subset of the fields? Now, what's the practical implications of this? Why would you not just have your internal table match up with the database table exactly? Speed was one thing mentioned. Yes, but probably not. There's a better answer to that. You're probably thinking of the right answer, but use the wrong words. You're going to reduce complexity. Okay. Okay. Yeah, if I don't need, if the table has 175 fields in it, and by the way, we will see tables like that, 175 fields, okay? You don't need all 175 fields in your program. There's no sense having an internal table with 175 fields and going out and pulling all of that data into your program when all you care about is 20 of those 175 fields. So in that case, you're not going to say, make my internal table match up exactly with the database table. You're instead going to have to do a little bit more work, and you're going to go into the database, look at its definition, pick out the fields that you want, and create your own structure. And so we'll, we'll look at an example of this second scenario uh, here as we go along. But the fundamental thing to keep in mind, and if you're taking notes, jot this down next to it. When you do this, you match the names of the fields exactly and you match the types of the fields exactly. If you don't do that, you're, you're opening up a potential can of worms. So if I want the entire thing, I can use the syntax that we see right here. Data, iTable, type, and then whether it's standard or sorted or whatever have you, table of DB table name. Okay? Now, you might also have to add to that a reference to the key. Okay, depending upon if you, for example, pick sorted, then you're going to have to say with unique key, whatever have you. So if I want an internal table that matches up exactly with the database table, this is the syntax that, that I, would, I would use for that. Okay, so let's, let's look at this for a second. And um, 
S Airport seems like a good table for us to work with. And so I'm going to pop this up here. These are the different fields. Now, as I look at this in the sample program we're going to write together, we're not looking at an abundance of fields. I will use every one of those fields. And so in, in my first example here, um, we'll do that. So I'm going to leave this guy here and, and come over to this program and, and edit it out or edit it. So I'm going to kill off all the code that's here. And, and I want an internal table that matches the structure of this airport, S airport table in its entirety. So I come to my editor here and I say data. And, and I like to use iTable as a, as a name here. But I could even do, in this case, iTable S airport to distinguish it from other internal tables I might create. Type standard table of, and then my database table name is S Airport. Okay? Now, we'll save, and we'll do our syntax check on this. And now, notice what we have done here. Okay? What did we bypass in, in doing it this way? What do we not have? We don't have a type creation statement. Okay, we did this in one step. We, we have created a, a standard table in this fashion. Now, if we look at this database table, uh, we have, particularly if we look at the data in this, uh, we have names of airports and we have ID codes, okay? Now, you'll notice that it seems like the data that is in the table right now looks like it's, it's pretty much sorted by ID. But of course, if we start actually appending things to that database table, um, it's just going to get tacked on to the end. But let's assume that in our program, we would actually like this uh, internal table to be sorted by, by name. Okay, so let's see how we could do that. So now this is going to become uh, sorted table of S airport with, and what kind of key are we looking at here? This is going to be unique key and We'll make the unique key here. I hate it when I have to change name. Okay? And and let's see how it responds to to that. And you notice that is syntactically correct as well. All right, so now my question is, what is in that internal table right now? Okay, that would be a really, really um, that, uh, that's an understandable answer, but it is not correct. What is in the internal table right now? It's empty, yes. I have created an internal table that matches the structure of S Airport, but it is absolutely totally empty at, at this point. Okay, so let's, let's just look at the other scenario here. Everything that we've done so far is, is fine, but let's suppose in my, yes sir, Max? 
it's a database table name, and so I tend to do that, but it could be in lowercase letters if you were, if you were so inclined. Okay? Now, let's look at suppose I needed to, um, and, and S Airport's a really, really simple table, I understand, but let's assume I want an internal table that only has the ID number and the name. Okay? And so you could, you could say, well, there's only four fields and you're taking two of the four from why it's a big deal. Let's imagine that there were all kinds of fields here and I only wanted those two, ID and name. Okay, what do I have to do in that situation? What am I going to have to do if I want an internal table that only has ID and name? I'm going to have to create a structure that matches that. So uh, somebody, uh, I'll spot you the word types and the colon. Uh, what goes now? Begin of, and then the name of this structure, and I'm going to call it just S Airport struct, okay? Uh, and I think we have a comma here. And then, then what do we do? What goes here now? Okay, the name of the field, which is, the first one is ID, type, okay, and then there, I have two choices here. I could, I could go back to my table definition and see that ID is of type S Airport, okay? And so, for right now, let's, let's go with uh, that, that, uh, S underscore airport. So let's go with that S underscore airport. Okay, and then the next field that I said I wanted is the name, name, type, and the type of that is S underscore airp name, S underscore airp name. I think we end this with end of S airport struct. Okay? Now, if I want an internal table based on this, data, I table, well, caps messed up, I table S airp, I'll just call this S airp2, and we'll make this a type standard table of S airport struct with non-unique key and uh, ID will work as a key here. Now you might say, well, is an ID unique? Yes, it is, but with a standard table, I, I, I can't employ unique keys. So let's check our code here. So I have actually, at this point in time, instantiated two different standard tables, one which matches up with the entire structure and, and one which does not. Now, I did not show you guys this last time, but this is a really good place for us to, to do this. Um, let's look at the debugger here and how the debugger can help us. And, for, for whatever reason, at least what I have found is that with the debugger, there are only certain kinds of statements that we can attach breakpoints to. 
So I'm going to insert a write statement here just for the sake of illustrating what we're about to do. And then I'll put another one of these at the end. When you are working with the debugger, okay, um, you have to have syntactically correct code. So I'll check my code here and it looks good. The program has to be saved. The program has to be activated. Okay, and so I'm activating this program. It has now been activated. And I can put in these session breakpoints. Now what that's going to do is that's going to cause the program to stop or really pause when it encounters the particular breakpoint that I'm going to put in here. And so uh, the way you put in a breakpoint is you come over here to the left of the line where you want it to stop and you just click. And so that's why I put in these two write statements there. Um, we're going to put in a breakpoint associated with, with those statements. So if I now save this again, oh, I shouldn't have saved it because I wiped out my breakpoints. So this is one of the instances where you don't actually want to save it. All right, so now I executed it, or excuse me, I, um, I activated it. And so now my breakpoints are back. And so now I click direct processing. And you see this looks very, very different for us at, at this point here. And, and the big thing that we can do with this now is we can put watches on these variables. This is one of the things that I do not like about the ABOP editors, we, or the ABOP debugger. We have a very, very, very busy screen here. Um, if we had bigger monitors or dual monitors, this would actually be a lot uh, easier and nicer for us. And, and I don't know, we can get rid of some things here uh, like I just did with the ABOP stack. And in fact, what we want here is, is this guy over here, which allows us to take a look at different uh, data objects and their values. So notice I have a data object here called iTable S Airport. Um, if I want to see what's in it in the debugger, I just double click on it and it adds it over here. And then I could double click on that and it shows me the structure of my internal table. And it also shows me that, that right now that's, that's empty, okay? And if I navigate back here, I'll go ahead and put a watch on SARP2, which even though the code hasn't gotten to it yet, it still knows that it's there. And, and here's my ID and name. Now notice there is one here for row as well. That's kind of an internal mechanism for sequential access. It's not really part of my table, but it gives the system a way of also telling me what row it's on at any given point here. So I just did that here primarily to show you that we did, in fact, create two different kinds of tables. And if I go into the debugger and double click on them, I can see that, in fact, I have the, the structure for each of them that matches what I am trying to do. And my local screen is uh, really, really freaking out here, but it looks like the projector's okay. When you're, when you're working with the debugger, you have to kind of continue executing your code. And so now I'm looking for the, uh, notice up here in the upper left, I have, okay, take a single step, uh, execute, um, return and continue. 
and the icons here kind of tell you what's going to happen. If you just want to continue running, you can continue, and then it'll stop at the next at the next breakpoint. It shows me the output, and then I hit the back button, and I'm back here in standard fashion. So that's like a real short tour of the debugger, but it lets us see as well uh, that our internal tables are in fact set up correctly. Yes, sir. I don't think it'll step backwards. Did it? Did the icon make it look like it? Some of the things there that you're seeing have to do with, like if we had an external function call, it steps into a function call or steps over the function call. And so, yeah, see, that's what just happened here. This is now actually stepping into something that I'm going to guess at this point relates to the code it uses to actually create the internal table. And notice, I mean, you've got, this is the point of where we talked about before, where all of this is, is open source. You know, you can see the code that's being used here. But most time we don't want that. Continue will just let, you know, we'll, we'll keep it running to the end of the program. Uh, the next step or sing, single step just steps you through um, and you notice here we're still taking the diversion into the other into the other code um, the execute doesn't take you on those detours so it just kind of depends on you know how far into debugging you actually want to go and we'll come back and visit it in more detail uh, a little bit later on as this semester goes on. All right, so we've now set up two internal tables, manipulating an internal table. After creating an internal table, we observed that we will very typically want a work area. There is a very easy way to create a work area. We can say data and then the name of our work area, which in this example I'm just calling WA, like line of, and then the name of our internal table. Now notice in this situation, we are referencing an internal table, not a database table, okay? So if I go back to my code here, I actually have two internal tables with different structures. So for my first here, uh, I'm going to do data, and I'll just, for clarity, WA1, like line of I table S airport. So it's going to match up with that. And I need to get rid of these breakpoints. There we go. And then for my second one here, data. WA2, like line of I table S ARP 2. So I now have a work area that corresponds with that exactly. Now you might say, wouldn't there be a different way to write line 22? And the answer is yes. How else could I have written line 22?
No, because there have different fields in them, so I can't do that. Right idea, but wrong syntax. The only thing we can say like is the internal table in this concept. But I could say data WA type S airport struct. And that would give me a work area as well. So that's all we're doing here. We're taking a shortcut to creating a structure that matches a line in, in, my, in my internal table. And a work area is a single line. So there's really no concept of a key or a, um, you know, because you're just talking about one element at that point. Okay. All right. So now, suppose I want to fill up my internal table with what's in my database table. And I'm showing you this at this point, even though it seems a little bit out of order, just because we need some stuff to work with here, okay? So, this is the old ABOP syntax. Eh, select star, and I say old, meaning that your book shows you a newer alternate syntax, okay? But we'll talk about that eventually. This still works fine. Select star, from whatever the database table is into table and then your internal table name, okay? So select whatever the fields are, in this case star, from DB table into table and then the name of your internal table. So let's fill up both of these guys right here, okay? So I have my uh, I table S airport which matches up with the whole S airport table. So to fill it up, select star from, and my database table name is S airport into table, and the name of my internal table is I table S airport. I will save that and do a syntax check and notice we're, we're good here. Okay, then my second table, my second internal table differs in that I can't do a select star. I, I have to list the names of the fields here. Uh, select ID name from S airport into table I table S airport. Ah, I was wondering if anybody would catch that. And this is the distinction between the old ABOP syntax and the new ABOP syntax. Um, the old ABOP syntax, and I say, keep in mind, I'm saying old, it's still what you would use unless you have a company that has moved to the very, very latest instantiation of ABOP. This works. This is, as we will later learn, OpenSQL. The new syntax starts putting stuff like this 
the at symbol on things that are local to your program, okay? Um, the field uh, iTables Airport is unknown. Oh, we don't put it on table names, we put it on, on field. And, we, and we'll come back to this, but I just want to show you that if we do, and I think this is where this goes, and then if we do this, we have to put commas in here, it, it changes the syntax. And so your book is going to show you, and see, we may not be running the most recent uh, ABAP engine that matches up with that. We'll have to play around with that. But your book is going to show you slightly different syntax with the at symbols in it. Okay, um, So we'll cover that a little bit later. We'll come back to it. But at this point now, I filled up both these tables. And by the way, if you say, well, how do I know I filled up the tables? Uh, this is always good if we wanted to uh, employ the debugger here. And so uh, let, let's see where we could put this. I, I need another, uh, really, a statement here. Uh, and I'll just drop it at the end to let me attach breakpoints to. And uh, save and activate. And I don't want these breakpoints anymore. We'll just put, I don't know why it does that. That. Yeah, don't, don't ask me what's going on here. The debugger is a weird, weird, weird animal. Because you can see, or maybe you can't see, but I'm clicking on line 22 and it's toggling line 15. Okay? And so you might say, well, click on line 28 and it'll toggle line 22. No. I appear to be unable to toggle line 22. So, oddities of the debugger. But at any point here, oh, I saved it. I, I see, I, I got such a habit of, of saving things immediately before. Oh, see, now I went away. I don't know what's going on here. All right, so, so here's my point. I was trying to, let's kill this guy off. I can X out this because I don't need the screen tool. And let's put a, a uh, watch on my two tables here. Uh, iTable Airport, okay, and we kind of see because of that there are different numbers here that gives us a hint that there's something in here, and and there's in fact my my table with really it matches up exactly with what's in the database table, and so I, I know that has been has been filled up, and then I could come back here. My second table is the S Airp two, and. It has been filled up, but notice it only has two of the four fields. So the debugger allows us to know, uh, okay, yes, this is actually um, working the way I expected, and that my table has all the data in it. And, and that can be very, very handy when sometimes you write code and you're like, I'm sure my code is correct, but it's not working. Pull out the debugger and look at what's in your internal table. Okay. so. Let's look at manipulating the internal table. If I want to append something to an internal table, append really only makes sense for a standard table. Because append carries with it the connotation that you're tacking something onto the end of a table. Which is why we don't really think in terms of appending to a 
internal table, or excuse me, to a sorted table because I wanted to maintain the sort order. But for a standard table, if I want to add something to the end, the syntax is append, and I'm going to use my work area to the internal table. Okay? So let's come back here, and in work area one, I'm, I want to add something onto this internal table now that I have filled it up. So I'm, I'm up here in my code. And so what I'm going to have to do in my example here is I'm going to have to populate the fields with the correct data. All right, now, what are the fields that I have to account for? I have to account for mont, ID, name, and time underscore zone. So, mont, I'm just going to type the first part of this. There's mont, there's ID, there's name, and then there's time underscore zone. Those are the name of the fields. So, equal, 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 equal. I'm just going to I'm creating a new record to put in the database. What goes on the right side of the equal sign here? No, not mont plus one. The client number, which is what? That's where that guy comes in really handy. That's the client client number, which saves me, I don't hard code in a number here that says, okay, make this the, the, the current client number. The ID is the three-letter abbreviation. Well, I am highly offended that Tri-Cities Airport is not there. So, uh, TRI, okay, name, Tri-Cities Regional Airport. Time zone, I have no idea, okay. What's that? Well, but that's the system, that's going to be the time zone actually of the system in Milwaukee, which is actually in a, they're in a different time zone than we are. So if we wanted to be formal about this, uh, what I could do here is I could look in here in the table and I could say we are the same time zone as New York. So let's find a New York, we're UTC minus five, okay? So I can come back to my code here and do UTC minus 5. Notice these are all strings. I have now just populated a work area with the new record. So now, append, or the caps locks key and I are not friends. Append, this is where code completion annoys me because it guessed the wrong version of append. Append WA2 I table S airport. And I have a typo because it's WA1. Yep. Append WA1 to I table S airport. Okay. Now, just, just so we can see this, uh, because we're not working with output yet here, I'm going to go back in. And now I have a breakpoint on a line that doesn't even have code on it, so I don't know how this is going to work. But I will um, employ my direct processing here. Oh, this is a fun thing. This is why I was putting the right statements in before. This program, as it's written, produces no output at all. So I've got to put something in here 
that that is going to do that for me. And so I'll activate that and I'll put my breakpoint on that line. And now, okay, so now I can find my, um, my iTable S Airport and add it to my watch list and then double click on it over here and oh that's my actually that's what I added oh did I put it in the code before I did the select yeah. ah then that's bad news because now that's well at least it's not going to behave the way I had envisioned it what I wanted it to do was append it onto the table and you can see what happened now I, I put it in the internal table and then I wiped it out by going out and getting the database table and putting it in there so uh, I might not have noticed that if it weren't for the debugger here what I wanted to do was append after uh, filling it up with the other stuff okay and so now let's, um, and I don't know if I, I think I'm going to have to reactivate this, even though it still left the breakpoints there. And now let's see if I go in, kill this guy off, put a watch on iTable S Airport, and we can see here's the stuff clearly from the database. And I, I, I don't think I've appended yet, which is why I'm not seeing anything else. And so if I... Um, let's see which one single step oh. oh did I pick the wrong table in my code I must have done something bad there oh, that's the wrong code okay so ah well look at that It made all my code, so I fixed it with the pretty printer, but that's odd. So here's the question. Why did that just, I'm kind of glad that happened. Why did that bomb out on me? Why did I get a runtime error? What is wrong with my code? It's a sorted table, and we cannot append to a sorted table, okay? If you think about it, you know, what you're basically, is you told the computer, give me a sorted table, and then you told it to append something to the end, which violates the, the internal logic of the sort. Even if, by the way, I think we still would have gotten an error, even if coincidentally it had been something that would have maintained the sort order. Um, so let me show you the next point in the slide which will solve this, which is if I want to insert which is what I do with a sorted table and also what I do with a hash table. And as a point of fact, I can do it in a standard table too. Yes, sir. So when you're, in, when you're putting these values, you're, you're making these values up for a single record. Mm -hmm. If your record that you're typing in does not match the table, like that one table allows 25, that one column allows 25 characters, but what I'm inserting is more than that, does it just truncate that or does it throw an error? Let's test. We'll test that. Okay? But first of all, let's fix our problem here. Yes, sir. Max? Well, if, if uh, insert works for every one of them, why? Very good question. You know, and, and I 
can't give you a good answer except to say I wanted to show you the syntax, you know, that, that it's there. So notice, now on the slide, which I switched away from, uh, the syntax here, and, and this is a good example of where, where ABAP is annoying. You know, notice it's append to, but then it's insert, it's insert into, and then the keyword table, and then the internal table. Don't ask me why it's not parallel. I mean, I can't give you a good answer for that except to say that's the syntax of it. So insert WA into table, iTable S airport. So now I'm no longer asking it to violate its inner rules related to a, a sorted table. So I need to activate this. And then uh, I still have my breakpoints here from previous. So direct processing. All right, kill this guy off. And then put a watch on iTable S Airport. And here's what I have in there so far. You'll notice it is sorted based on name, which is different than the sort order in the database table, by the way. And at the moment, you'll notice Tri-Cities Airport is not there. It kind of occurs on a, on a line break, but you can see it's, it's not there. But if I take a single step, and now there's Tri-Cities Regional Airport. It has been added in the appropriate sequence there to my, to my internal table. Okay? Now, there's a question about the fact that the field here is, is 25 characters long. And so what happens if I, if I cause a problem where my, my airport here, let's say, for example, is, is longer than the 25 characters, which I think that's, that's pretty much going to take care of it right there. Okay? So how is the system going to respond? Uh, and in this case, I'm not going to activate it. I don't want to trigger the debugger. I just want to see if it will run or not. And it, it did run. Okay, so let's see. Now I guess I am going to have to resort to the debugger to see what it actually did in this situation. So I run this, kill this guy off. Uh, here's my internal table. I look at my internal table. So far so good, but we haven't put in Tri-Cities. Click this button. Now Tri-Cities is there. And, oh, I guess I was already going beyond the 25 characters just with Tri-Cities Regional Airport and, and you can see it did in fact truncate it in this situation. Okay, So I'm glad that uh, that question was asked. Yes, sir? Part of it has to do with what we observe that if you have a program that doesn't have output, my experience has been that even if there are, are breakpoints in place, like here you see we have a breakpoint on line 22, if I, if I try and execute this, um, well here this time it went into it, but you can recall last time it didn't seem like it needed to. So, so yeah. 
I agree. And it looks like this time it worked fine. I guess the one observation I would make is sometimes it seems like there are statements that it won't let you put a breakpoint on or it won't respond to them. Now, in this case, it's on an insert statement, which I could see. But notice I can't even put a breakpoint on things associated with my type definition. And I think that's what's going on here. I think that when I click here, it's putting the breakpoint on the closest valid line above where I'm clicking. And so if I come down here and let's say try and click on line 32, see it's still putting that there. But if I click on line 33, it's not, it's not putting a break. Oh, there, it let me put a breakpoint on line 33. Yes. Right. So it's not so much a right statement. It would be some kind of, I don't know how to classify it, but a statement where you're asking it to do something other than just setting up data types and declaring data objects. Yes, sir. Run the last part of that by me again. Anytime, any. Ah, okay. Yeah, when we're done, I'll, I'll, I'll put this somewhere, okay? Yeah, I don't mind doing that. Um, other questions? All right, so, and, and here's my thing that I was mentioning ago. Now, well, let's talk about this in the context of your midterm exam, okay? I'm not going to say true or false, the syntax for the append statement is append wa into table i table and expect you to remember no one of them has the two and the other one has the into table i'm not going to ask you questions like that on the midterm exam but when you write your programs you're going to have to write your programs correctly okay um, on in the midterm if i ask you to write a code sequence and maybe that code sequence incorporates an append statement and you write it syntactically incorrect but in a way that makes sense, I'm, I'm probably going to still give you full credit for that, okay? Realizing that you don't have the benefit of, of being at a code editor with syntax highlighting and things like that, okay? So don't get, when you're studying, don't get all freaked out and try to memorize, okay, this one has the word table and this one doesn't have the word table in it. I'm just not going to ask you things in that level of detail on, on the final exam. Or on the final, oh, well, not final, but on the midterm either. Okay, so now I want to pull something out of an internal table. Uh, I want just a particular row. Read copies a table row into a specified data object. The row selection can be based on an index number or on the table key. And remember, the idea here is we can only read this from the internal table based on the key. So, read table, internal table, index, and a number. So that's going to go through and pull out that particular index. And it's going to copy it into my work area. The alternate is if I want to do this based on matching up field values. Read table, I table, with table key, field equals value. And I could have multiple field equal value pairs there. 
into WA. Yes. I want to make sure I understand your question. It says row numbers. I'm just trying to figure out how row numbers and indexes are different. That's on a slide where it says. Is that on a slide we covered today? Uh, I mean, we, 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 we would like that. It, it's on this slide deck, though. It's the yeah. slide of the standard uh, sorted two, three, three, four, and what they, what they are. Slide five. All right, so this, is this what we think? Is this what we're talking about here? This guy. Yeah. Okay. No, no. Um, key value means a key field and a val key value pair. So like name equals Fred. That's key value. Row number just means give me row three. So how that Well, that's exactly what we're talking about here. That's, so the scenario here is the first one shows you read table. That shows you reading based on um, what I previously called um, I think I use the term index or row number. Let's see, it was actually slide four. Yeah, the, the first one here, index, blah, blah, blah. That is row number, okay? Then the second one, this is what I'm calling um, key values. So the key field and the value of it. So like name equals Bob, assuming that name is a key field. Okay? Thank you for asking that because, yeah, we do want to make sure that that's, that's clear. In co conceptually, yes. Uh, the syntax may differ from statement to statement. In this particular statement, uh, we're using we're using the keyword index. All right, so let's go back to our, our code here. And for the sake of, of leaving code there so that you'll have it in your example, I'm going to stick with um, putting in the Tri-Cities Airport, okay? And I'm gonna move this block just so when you're looking at this later, it'll make more sense. So here I, I, uh, filled the internal table on, on line 15, filled I table with uh, S airport. And then here I added Tri-Cities, okay? So we're just gonna keep working with the top part of this code. So I'll just put that down there further. Yes? Would a dash have counted as a character in our string? Would a dash have counted as a character? When you type in, when you type in 
try some dash cities for your comment? Could we have also done that for names? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know what the proper name of the airport is, but yeah. Okay, so now let's say I want to just start pulling some data out of this table. So read table. And I'm, I'm using the I table here, the internal table. Oh, and by the way, a lot of times I like to just copy and paste names of things like internal tables. Just make sure I don't mistype them. But I'm, I'm not doing that here. Uh, read table, I table, S airport, index. And in my example, I'm just going to pick. I know there's a fourth row. Uh, into WA1. So now, WA1 no longer holds Tri-Cities Regional Airport. It holds whatever was actually in row four. Now, remember, we tried to do this before. It's, it's not going to be pretty, perhaps. But let's just see what happens if we try and dump our work area to the screen uh, for the sake of showing that output. Yeah, and we can see it here. Uh, uh, not pretty, but client 405, BKK for the airport code. Bangkok, Thailand, uh, UTC plus 7. All right, so now this would not be the most efficient way to do this. But realize what we could now do at this point is we could do something like this. Um, do 10 times and do. Now, this is not the most efficient way to do this, but I'm just showing you it as possible. And then what would I want to change this to? OK. And, and here, let's be a little bit better about this, OK? So um, WA1-MANDT. WA1-ID, WA1-name, WA1-time zone, and uh, seven, fifteen, fifty. Okay. Let's see if I've made a typo here. Uh, yeah, I'm always doing this. Okay. So, not the most efficient way to do that. I'll show you better techniques in the future. But you can see we're stepping through and we're, we're just pulling out, in this case, what's the 10 was what I set this uh, base to in this situation. All right, the other scenario that was mentioned on the slide was reading based on key value fields. So let's, let's try and do that now. Read table, I, not tabuki, whatever that is, table, I table, S airport, with table, key, all right, and now I have to think back about my internal table. My internal table is based on the key of, of name, okay? So here I would say name equals, 
and I'm going to leverage this. So hopefully you, you, you see that we're, we're not cheating here. In fact, um, WA, which I've got to specify here, was, uh, was overwritten in my loop. Okay, So now I'm going to just try and read back the record that has Tri-Cities Airport in it. And I'll steal this line right here because it makes perfect sense still. I guess just to segregate it, I can do a, a skip five to put some white space in there. Okay, and there we go. I pulled out Tri-Cities Airport uh, based on that. Now, the, the key is, no pun intended, all right, let's see what happens if I try and do this based on um, ID. ID equals TRI. It's not part of the key. Okay? So this is where when you're designing your tables, you, you have to give thought to um, which of those actually yeah, did that. I don't know why that um, it's, it's doing this. I've never seen it do that before where it made all my keywords um, non-capital like that. Questions? All right, well, we are out of time for today, so we will stop here.